Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Celtic Stuff Live, the only toll-free call-in webcast produced specifically for Celtics fans. Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live, first show of the oh yeah off season. Mm. Well, John and I are here to help pick you up. Obviously, plenty to be excited about. And who better to wrap up the season than with our guest, Sean Grandy, play-by-play voice of the Boston Celtics. And despite the fact that, you know, he is number two, right, John? He always, always, always kills it for us. And i got to tell you, we've got just about an hour with Sean covering numerous topics about the season and you know a couple of underrated things that flew under the radar as everybody was getting excited heading into the postseason so i'm excited to break it all down with sean kind of get his take and just following up on our show with no guest from last week sean's in the same camp as is cedric maxwell his partner as you and i are with marcus banks john marcus banks Oh my God! Did I see Marcus Banks? <laughs> oh wow, that's some old school throwback. Oh boy! Hey, here's the question: How many times have I already said that? How many times have I whipped out the Marcus Banks? And you know what? Actually, that's a fairly when you think about the size of the player, the strength. It's actually not all that crazy of a a mix-up. That should have happened before. It anyway, happened before. He probably was in the same camp as we were with Marcus Banks, but now he is also 100% in the same court as we are with Marcus Smart. And I'm not editing that out. No. That's going into the, the, the full-time bloopers. It's going out with the show. We're just, we're going to, we'll go ahead and, and everybody can, you know, tweet some crap at me and give me a hard time. I'll take it. <laughs> I can't believe it. Banks. Wow. That's a deep pull right there is what that was. That you, you pulled that one 13 years ago. That's that wow. Wow. I have some 13 years ago conversations with Sean though. You know, yeah. we we're we're going to throw some names at you that are just as Mr. irrelevant like as Marcus Banks or maybe not so irrelevant but you know what ifs and it will be a great interview so everybody stay tuned for that. But John, Marcus Banks. Damn. Yeah, that's. There are people listening to the show that do not know who that is. That's right. That's how old we are now. It's it's crazy. 
it's crazy that that's where we <laughs> we're, we're that far away from that. You know that who is Marcus Ben? J.R. Bremer. There probably I would say thirty percent of the people listening to the show or less know who J.R. Bremer is. That's true. Yeah, Miracle Mill Palacio. Well, we could go. We could go down the list here. You know, it's Brandon Hunter. Brandon Hunter. Oh man. There was a lot of love for Brandon Hunter on this show. This is what we were living with in the pre-Garnett era, where names... Brandon Hunter, do you remember his run in the second half of that season? We thought for sure we finally had our power forward. Or not for sure, but we were encouraged. And, uh, you know, then Ryan Gomes, who another player Mm -hmm. that everybody should probably know more than the other names we just threw out, but, but Gomes was... You know, he was—he actually would have had an even better career if he had come about six years later because he would fit into today's game much better than he did back then. Oh, absolutely. Boy, he, yeah, he really would have been. And he's actually still playing in the D-League right now. I don't, yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of surprising he hasn't been able to... Uh, uh, you know, well, I shouldn't say it's surprising. <laughs> that, that, that's may be a little strong, but but you're right, though. I mean, if if this if if that was ten years later, uh, you know, Ryan Gomes would have been a certainly a lottery pick, not a second round, you know, afterthought. Um, so, or Walter McCarty, think about his game. Yep. In today's yep. era, absolutely. Another guy. It was almost like. Um, you know, Jim O'Brien was trying to play this game, this brand of basketball, before it came. Because that's all he was, was 3 and D. Yep, that's exactly right. 3 and D and, and hope for the best. And, yeah, that was those are some heady days there. And, you know, now, look at where we, we're 3 and D, except we can't make the 3. <laughs> <laughs> as, as we go into detail with Sean, boy, is it brutal. That game six, watching them just miss open shot after open shot and knowing what it was going to do to them. And I said in our last show, they're like zombies, right? They love to dig a hole five and a half feet deep, stick their hand out and crawl from the dirt and come back and bite you. But they were not able to pull it off. Uh, Ran out of gas, uh, mentally, physically, excuses, maybe yes, maybe no, doesn't really matter at the end of the day. They weren't able to get it done, despite the fact that the crowd had been given had been giving them a huge lift at home. You cannot fault the fans. They came out in droves. I mean, if you want to fault fans, fault Atlanta fans. Oh my God, how absent! But the Celtics fans, they're going to make it so that players who are on free agent contracts absolutely have to consider playing in front of a crowd like that. No question. I mean, you anybody who gets a taste of what that was here this past week. You can't want to say, oh, well, I'll go somewhere else. I mean, come on. I mean, it, you know, the, the folks always talk about Oklahoma City, and they have that kind of college-like atmosphere there. I've watched enough games with going on in Oklahoma City, and it's nothing to write home about. I mean, what you saw in the in the garden here last week three games 3 and 4 game 6 that was a te- that was a, that was a pro crowd that was pushing it trying to push at least in game 6 situation trying to push its team over the line and and they certainly were successful in games 3 and 4 they just didn't have the horses on the floor to get it done in game 6 can't fault Jonas Jerebko and we'll talk about that 
after the interview with Sean Grandy, but he certainly did his part. The senior or elder statesman on this Celtics squad, really funny, but definitely gave more than uh, Jared Sullinger was able to give this team matchups, obviously favoring him. Uh, he was the bailout move. And quite frankly, it worked. There was a lot of other things that weren't working, but he was not somebody who wasn't getting rebounds or hitting down shots, a lot of open shots. And you know it's sad when Sully is sitting behind Kelly Olynyk, who is coming off the bench with a bad shoulder in favor of minutes for Sully. That's a sad state of bad matchups against Indy, uh, against Atlanta for Jared Sullinger. So, Listen, we've got to go get Sean Grandy. We're going to come back, break it all down. We'll preview a little of the offseason, but we've got plenty of time. May 17th is draft lottery night, and then it won't be until June before we're seeing exactly where the Celtics squad winds up with either trades that night or picks, adding to this uh, very deep core of youth that they have going right now for Brad Stevens to work with. would be nice to see some consolidation moves, but we'll, we'll get to that. Right now, we're talking about wrapping up the season, and Sean Grandy, play-by-play voice of the Boston Celtics, is joining us next. You're listening to CLNS Radio, the home for online Boston Celtics coverage. And don't forget, Jared Weiss had some excellent wrap-ups on Garden Report with player exit interviews. You have to check out the YouTube channel for that. And Larry H. Russell, always killing it on Celtics Beat. We'll continue in the offseason. Our shows are here for you, and we have plenty to talk about thanks to the salary cap moving up, etc. So make sure you're checking CLNS Radio. We'll be right back with Sean Grandy. All right, everybody, joining us now, Sean Grandy, play-by-play voice of the Boston Celtics. Sean, unfortunately, we're here to talk about the closing, uh, or our closing show of the season, the end of the playoffs for the Celtics against at the Atlanta Hawks. And, you know, really, it, it kind of looked like they ran out of gas, and a lot of people don't want to put the excuses out there, but the team definitely was not 100% health-wise. What's your stance on whether or not this team deserves a, a couple of excuses just limping through the playoffs, or do, or do you say, you know what, you know, and, I, and I'm going to go back to your final interview, pregame interview with Brad Stevens, where you said, hey, when is the adjustment just playing better? <laughs> uh, is that really the issue, or do we give them a little bit of a, a break because of the injuries, you know, really post-All-Star break? I, I think you step back and ask yourself the following question. Which would have been a better result? Let's say you beat, you win the first round, because I, I, don't, I don't believe that they were ever going to beat Atlanta. I just thought that was the worst possible matchup. But let's say it had been Charlotte or Miami, a team I thought the Celtics would have beaten. And then you lose to Cleveland again, and maybe you win a game, so you lose to Cleveland in five. People naturally feel there's a progression that right now maybe you're – struggling a little bit to see but the progression was there and i think it was all you know an illusion at the end as to whether or not you know oh they lost in the first round again okay well what was the difference between let's say you'd beaten charlotte in six or seven games and then got hammered again by cleveland or the series had been a little closer than it was last year the progress was the same regardless and i remember saying on opening night that this team could miss the playoffs and could take a step forward depending on the brooklyn draft pick and depending on whether key young players developed or I remember painting a scenario for you guys and a lot of people that there's a scenario by which, let's say the Celtics make the playoffs and go to the second round, but they lean heavily on Amir Johnson and David Lee, I said at the time, and guys that aren't necessarily the building blocks of the future, then you could make the playoffs and go to the second round and still not be better off. So 
is the franchise better off? Was this a significant, was this a significant step forward? And I'm going to suggest that a team that a year and a half ago, just a year and a half ago, Super Bowl Sunday, February 1st, 2015, was one of the bottom five or six teams in the NBA for a year and a half. To go from that to top ten, probably top eight, and with just a bad matchup that kept them out of the second round, I would say that is extraordinary progress. And, yeah, you can focus on – I saw an article, well, they're not a championship team yet. No, but they went from 25 to 7 or 8 in about a year and a half. So that's not bad. No, that's definitely a huge improvement, especially because they're not handcuffed by salary and they still have plenty of draft picks. And, I mean, obviously we don't have to go over that ad nauseum. Anybody who's paying attention to even the national media, even if they're not a diehard Celtics fan, already knows that. It's been well broadcast what the front office has done to rejuvenate this club. And, you know, I'll say John and I, right as we were heading into the postseason, one of our final shows, you know, we were clamoring for the Celtics to actually rest some guys, fall to the sixth slot, and then get out of the Cleveland bracket for the second yep. round. And that was really the best, you know, what we thought was the best spot. And we actually had Steve Bullpett on that time. And Steve said, listen, you know, that's all a lot of hullabaloo. This team needs to just practice, work on playing their best because they really haven't over the last two or three weeks. And that's really I think both have merit, but at the end of the day, you're right. This was a horrible matchup for them. What if, what if they'd been matched up against Miami? Um, did you like, do you like their chances? I mean, obviously Miami closed out the season this weekend, uh, closed out their first-round series this weekend, and, you know, in good fashion with a blowout. But do, do you think the Celtics would have inevitably – not gotten out of the first round, even though Atlanta was the worst matchup possible? No, I think they I think they would have beaten Miami. I think they would have beaten Charlotte. I think it would have been competitive series. Now, are, are, was Avery destined to get hurt in game one of whatever series there was? You know what I mean? I mean, that's, a, that's certainly a fair question. I think they would have been very difficult series to win. And again, you're just talking about the Celtics on April 25th were not the Celtics of February 25th. And that's the reality is the difference between this year and last year is the Celtics last year played their best basketball in the final quarter of the season, and this year they played their worst in the final quarter of the season. And I think while we will remember, if I asked you off the top of your head, give me the snapshot two or three moments of the season, how long are you going before you say Golden State and winning that game at Golden State? I think that was fool's gold to people that weren't really paying as close attention for whatever reason, to the Celtics, that the Golden State win, not only, first of all, if you start doing an autopsy on it, and let's do that because why not, let's do a little autopsy on the Golden State win. Okay, Golden State hadn't lost at home in 54 games. It was the longest home court winning streak in NBA history. What happened in Golden State's next home game? They lost to Minnesota at home. All right. Now, the West Coast trip, the Celtics went 3-2, and two, right? Yeah, they did, and they got the great win at Golden State. They got hammered by the Clippers. Brad thought they played well at Portland. I, I didn't in particular. I thought that they got manhandled for most of that game in Portland. And the two wins came for barely skate, skin-of-your-teeth wins against two Tankapalooza dumpster fires, you know, at Phoenix and the Lakers. So I think that West Coast trip comes apart upon – you know, further analysis and the number of this thing I kept tweeting to sort of temper expectations, the fact that going into the playoffs, Atlanta and even Charlotte and Miami, certainly Atlanta and Charlotte were the two best teams in the East in the final quarter of the season. The Celtics, and if you include the playoff series, the Celtics were 11th in the East or the final quarter of the last 25 games. They were 11th in the East. So, and I think it comes down to, we're talking about Avery for a long time, 
but I think we will find out more. We're going to find out two months from now if we're having this conversation. We're going to know a lot more about the health or lack thereof of Jay Crowder. He never came back healthy. And that, to me, is the difference between the Celtics in the first three quarters of the year when they were one of the six, seven best teams in the NBA and the final quarter into the playoffs when they were average at best, to me, was Jay Crowder being healthy and Jay Crowder really being very, very much not healthy. No, he definitely wasn't healthy, and you know you could see it because he really wasn't able to attack the rim so much. I know he put his best effort in the latter part of the series against Atlanta, but for the most part, it just wasn't there. He didn't he didn't have that little extra burn on his step to get around the the man and and be able to make a play at the basket, and he was out of rhythm from beyond the arc as well. And I think that's a really good point. Even going back to the Golden State Warriors game that you made that point, I remember saying, you know was this kind of a fluke and Golden State was out of their element, especially after what happened with Minnesota, or did they find, you know, sort of the uh, the plan or the game plan, the key to beating Golden State? And, and obviously, I think, you're, I think you're right. I agree with you there that, that maybe they just caught him at the right time, but they did play him tough. It was, listen, it was uh, a great matchup. Okay. We're talking about Atlanta being a really bad matchup for the Celtics. Look at the four games the last two years against Golden State. Who's played the Golden State tougher in the regular season than the Celtics. It wasn't a fluke that they won that game. I'm just saying that if you look at the way the Celtics play, people who don't, you know, you're casual fans or you know you have a real life and you have jobs and you have kids and you're not watching every minute of every game, you're not really paying attention to the standing. And you, what, the one thing you hear about is, oh, the Celtics beat Golden State. This is going to be great. Another big step forward. You're not really, like, step back from that and look at the last 20 games is my point about Golden State. Yeah, and let's look at what happened after that and and leading up to the fact that they did get to draw against the Hawks because of the way it went down on the final night of the season. They they wind up getting this crazy comeback victory against Miami. Then all of a sudden, you know, Atlanta winds up losing and everything kind of falls into this awkward place for the Celtics. I mean, that's a pretty uh that that was a rough draw for them. It was by far the worst matchup. Uh, it, there's no doubt about that, and I, it's re- it's really funny because we joke a lot about about Mike whenever I come on, and you know I, I we don't really know each other's work that well in so many ways because we're doing the same game all the time. But there are times when I'll watch the replay of the game. I remember coming home that night. I literally had to go to Italy the next day to do you know for my MMA trip, and I'm watching the last game that after the big comeback, and I'm watching it, and Mike and Tommy are just. They're so into it. It's awesome. I mean, they're just so, and it, it's like, you know, the NBA Finals. And I didn't call it that way because I was very much aware. I was almost like, it was like they were probably doing it the right way, which is just putting blinders on to the big picture and just getting into that moment and into that game. And it was great. It was a great comeback. But I knew that Atlanta had lost. I knew what was happening, you know, in the big picture and how everything was coming together. I knew the result was a bad one for the night. So to me, I wasn't not as, I wasn't quite as intense or as up about it, you know, because the story of the night was, yeah, great comeback for the Celtics, but they're going to get screwed on the tiebreaker and they're going to get the worst possible, you know, matchup against the team that you have to be able to shoot threes, which is why I think Cleveland's going to win this series. As good as I think Atlanta is, I just think now Cleveland is a bad matchup for Atlanta, and it's going to be the exact opposite of last year when the Celtics played Cleveland tougher. And Atlanta did in the conference finals. You look at the there was both four game sweeps, but the Celtics games were more competitive than Atlanta was. I think this is going to be the opposite of that. In that, 
you're going to Atlanta beats the Celtics, and I don't think they're going to look that good, you know, in the next round just because of the matchup. So the Celtics were a bad three point shooting team anyway. And you take away Kelly and Avery, it was like it literally was like going into a fight with like one arm. I mean, it was, you know, it was it was scrappy and impressive, and the Garden was unbelievable the way the fans brought it, particularly in Game Six when the Celtics were so outgunned, when they were so outmanned, and the fans were just any little crumb, any little saltine cracker crumb the Celtics threw to the fans in that game. They just devoured it and made so much noise. It was a great environment, but reality is reality. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that Atlanta matchup was rough to begin with, let alone without having anybody who can knock down a three-pointer. We're going to talk about Jarebko because obviously his performance was great, but I just wanted to tag on one other thing to your point about them getting you know, the bad end of the tiebreakers, which almost don't even make any sense considering their record against Miami. But not only do they lose the tiebreakers in you know, bad fashion, but they also don't end up with the, the draft pick that lands with where they were in the draft, I mean, in the uh, seeding for the playoffs, which that seems broken to me. I mean, the tiebreaker thing I can kind of swallow, but the consolation prize should be getting the draft pick that's compensate with playoff position, shouldn't it? Uh, of course it should. Yeah, the whole thing's kind of, then the funny thing is, <clears throat> I have two significant problems with the playoff situation is this. Number one, any system, any playoff system that forces us to watch that Houston Rocket team play five more games is irretrievably broken. Okay? That's number one. <laughs> Amen. Put, put that aside. Number two, um, the, 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 the IRA, it's just the way it worked out. It's just bad luck. And like I said, you know what? Beat Brooklyn at home at <clears throat> the start of the year, and you're the three seed. But And the Celtics, and that's just the Celtics won so many games that maybe they shouldn't have, whatever. And early in the year, the scoring differential was so much better than the record. But none of that matters. What's interesting to me, the irony anyway, is that we've been told by the league for the last couple of years over and over and over again that divisions don't matter. And the Celtics were the five seed and not the three seed simply because of divisions and who wins the division. And you literally had four teams that were all tied, and the Celtics had the best record in the games among those four teams. And it was the Chris Rock joke about leading up to the election in 2008 that, you know, yeah, Barack Obama's leading in all the polls and whatever. Like, he really thinks he's going to win this thing. Like, they're really going to let him win. Like, oh, yeah, you got the most votes, but that, that's not how we do it anymore. You know, it's like one of these, it's like, yeah, you want the, you want the popular vote. Sure, more people voted for you, but, yeah, we, that's not the system we use anymore. So it was really the worst case. And the Celtics, let's face it, you go 9 and 10, down the stretch, the Celtics walked themselves into that mess. But then once they got into it, they got the short end in every possible way. Yeah, they really did, and if they didn't have the you know really good odds, third best odds at the top overall pick in the draft, I think it would have gotten a lot more noise, but I think everybody's disregarding yeah. that draft pick because they've got their eye on the prize. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. They totally are. That pick is not – nobody's talking about that whatsoever. You're, you're exactly right. And yeah, they, I think when things cause... get closer and people start projecting the draft and there's a lot of column inches or uh, you know page clicks that you need – Leading up to that, it'll become a thing, but right now, right now it's not. And who knows? Maybe you could have a you know a Robert Swift Al Jefferson thing that happens because of it. So <laughs> that is some optimistic crap right there. Hey, this is this is one of the great uh, you know in 2004. For those of you that don't know what we're what I am referencing, and this is what this is this kid is what we like to call institutional memory. Okay, when you're around here for 15 years, in 2004, first of all. The Celtics make the playoffs 
ironically, because of a player on their roster. They won a tiebreaker that year with Cleveland to get the eighth spot. And they won that tiebreaker because they had an extra home win in a game that Ricky Davis was so off the chart bad, he was the reason the Celtics won a game in Cleveland that gave them that tiebreaker, and he ended up on that team before the end of the year. But the Celtics go into the uh, you know into the, the bottom end of the they're out of the lottery because they made the playoffs. And Danny, like a lot of people, coveted Robert Swift at the time, and Robert Swift got votes off the board, and so the Celtics had to settle for Al Jefferson. And of course, if there's no Al Jefferson, there's no Kevin Garnett, and if there's no Kevin Garnett, I have one less piece of jewelry in my little uh, you know box on top of my desk that I can show my son one day. So it's funny how things work. You have you would have one less piece of jewelry yet. Robert Swift would have many 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 rounds of ammunition more. So really, it all kind of balances out in the end, doesn't not Sean? Maybe Robert Swift would have come to Boston and he would have been the next you know next big thing. Try to tell Max he never you know, he's not watching the outside games. So he'll never believe that there was a twenty thirty game stretch. I want to say two thousand six somewhere in there where Robert Swift actually had passed Al Jefferson. Like he was play, he had one great stretch. I want to say in his second year or third, it's somewhere in that window when he was really, really good. He was getting like double doubles every night and you could start to see this thing come together. But then boy, talk about going south. Yeah. Then some, um, what we, we've always talked about, you know, you've always talked with us about how you don't put a lot on the rookies. You don't expect a lot from rookies. You don't expect young players. You know, you you have a, a you look them very harshly. You, this is not something that you you put a lot into what you're going to get out of a draft pick right off the bat. Uh, Marcus Smart, he's now finished his second year. In some cases, he was, I think, the a real catalyst for some some solid play, particularly in Game Four. What what do you think we've seen out of Marcus Smart that that he can build off of entering next season? Hopefully, just step the iceberg. You know, Max and I have had pretty good sized man crush on Marcus. Uh, you know, for the for the two years because of the way he plays. And to oversimplify in a soundbite era, he falls in that category of what I like to say of the players that have the things you can't teach, but the things they don't have are the things that you can. You know, you you can become a better shooter as time goes by. I think they can become better with the basketball. Marcus, I think, was sort of been underrated as a point guard and not turning the ball over. I think he's, you know, for, for a guy that just turned 22, I think he's done that fairly well. I think people just get obsessed a little bit with the shooting numbers. And while he's been a guy that generally has made them, he's been a better fourth-quarter shooter than he is throughout the course of the game. And let's face it, he's one of the worst shooters right now. In the NBA, his willingness to shoot it to me is some, that says something about his willingness to you know his ability to get better. Uh, but he's one of those guys. There are shortstops that can hit 220, and you need him to play shortstop every day. There are catchers that are going to hit five home runs a year, but you want that guy behind the plate. They can be that Marcus Smart can go two for 12 and still be a valuable player on the floor. But that said, he, I think he's got a chance one day to not be a guy that goes two for 12. And as much as I'm, you know, on the front seat of the Marcus bandwagon and have been since the first night, and I think you guys, I've probably told you the story before, this is dead honest, true story. I got to the garden that night on draft night hoping Smart was going to be the guy. There had been a lot of talk remember, about Julius Randle, even though he totally tanked his East Coast workouts because he wanted to go out west. And I got to the, I got to the garden that night and saw two of my colleagues who you 
guys know and love very well. And I asked, I said, what do you think? And they said, anybody but smart, you know, anybody but smart. And that's when I knew that was my guy. Like now I definitely, now this is definitely my guy. So I've been all in from the beginning. All that said, um, I have a little bit of a fatherly old guy view of the flopping and the other stuff, which is kind of driving me a little bit crazy because Marcus to be the lockdown defender, elite all-star defender that he should be for many, many years, he's going to need the officials. And what I mean by that is it's not about you don't get called. You have to have the respect. You've got to treat the officials with respect, and then they will respect you and understand your game, and there's a way it all fits together. And I think the flopping is well-intentioned, I guess I would say. Like he thinks it's something you do to anything to help your team win. But to me, it's, it's losing sight of the big picture that – that disrespects the game and disrespects officials, and Marcus needs them the way he defends to understand the way he plays and to, you know, not so much be on your side as much as you know know that there's a mutual respect. There. Who do you think can unlock that in him? Is that something he has to change in himself, or is that a you know you get a veteran who thinks like he does and takes him under his wing? How do you think he makes that that change? Reggie Miller. Of course. <laughs> uh, oh I, yeah. um, funny? You know, another forgotten part of history, uh, this is one of those things that, you know, I have my own belief of the way things have gone in history. Listen, there's a spin on the Algie Jefferson Robert Swift thing that I mentioned. There's a spin on whether the Celtics were going to take Odin or Durant. You know, Danny insists he was going to take Kevin Durant with that first pick and not Greg Odin in 2000, all that stuff. Everybody's got a spin. But, um, no, we're, oh, we're Reggie Miller. Reggie Miller, James Posey, 2007. Remember, the Celtics went after Reggie Miller to try to get him to join that group, come out of retirement and join that group. I'm, uh, I've always been told that, hey, we could have gotten Reggie Miller and James Posey. I've always been suspicious of that. So I'm not sure if you signed Reggie Miller that you get Posey and do the Celtics win with that. I'm not, maybe they do, but I'm not sure the Celtics win without Posey in 2008. But that's how I would love how I've said this for years and years and years. History is concrete. I love the wet cement. You know, that moment before it becomes, you know, the moment before it becomes history, because it really could go, whether it's Swift and Jefferson or Reggie Miller and Posey or whatever it is, those, you know, those moments that could go either way. John, are you still there? I am. I am. You, you guys didn't lose that piece of brilliance, did you? <laughs> no, no, we have that. That is well documented, and and now it is concrete, and it's not wet cement. Um, I mean, is but Bull, John, is Bull Pet giving you gems like this, or, or, or what? <laughs> <laughs> Sean, you're the man. You are the man. There's no doubt. We always have. Listen, you stick. You stick around on the show, and you always bring uh, a unique spin, which is awesome. And you know, to John's point about smart, um, do you do you think that? Uh, I want to. I kind of threw in a curveball with Reggie Miller, but do you think that's something that Smart's going to have to recognize? Or uh, I do. You know, are you, are I, you I, do I do Maxwell think it is. Well, he's still. You know, he's still a young player. I think there are. It's it's sort of an interesting group. You know, there isn't really that, you know, Jonas Jaroko is the senior guy on the team. You know, there isn't that, again, we always come back to Kevin Garnett. There's lots of guys, and there's lots of guys that can do it, that can be that veteran guy and that go-to guy. And Lou Johnson's like that. But I don't think, you know, he's not a pull Marcus aside. Uh, I think, you know, a Kevin Garnett type or someone of that type A personality, or that brain type, I guess, would pull Marcus aside and say, come on, man, what, you know, what, what are you doing? 
And I don't know, I don't know where that exists within this group. But it's again, that's a you know things that were on your your A minus report card or your B plus report card or whatever you give Marcus for year number two. That's like things to work on for the you know to go from your A minus yeah. to your A or whatever. That's, that's my that's a nitpicking thing. I spent more like obviously as I said, Max and I have pretty much been driving that Marcus bandwagon from the start. Well, John and I love Marcus too, but he's not the only one that needs to watch out with the bad body language, maybe the flopping yep. piece. But that whole team. You know, they didn't get any favors from the officiating crew in the series against um, Atlanta either. It wasn't like they got every call. As a matter of fact, game six at home, I think a lot of things didn't go their way. I like that the officials let both teams play, especially early. And I told John my prediction for the series is that it would get chippy and it would be scrappy. And we definitely saw that bear out. And I think a lot of that was just how the games were officiated. But that bad body language does them no favors. Even Isaiah Thomas is just as guilty of the bad body language. And so is Jared Sullinger, which is where I'm going to take this. But but maybe uh, maybe echo, or not echo, but comment on the bad body language by the team in general. And then, and then I want to go to, to Jared Sullinger a little bit. It's a problem. Um, one of the benefits of the Charlotte uh, cataclysmic loss, uh, that, you know, that Monday night blowout, the, the 81st game, one of the things that came out of that is that Brad got to pull Isaiah out of that game. Remember they got a little bit of, uh, oh, Isaiah got benched or whatever. You know what that was about? Oh, yeah. Isaiah, you know what that was about? Isaiah wasn't benched for anything because he was one technical away from getting suspended. So that allowed him, that allowed, you know, that allowed Brad Stevens to get him out of that game. So he didn't get the one game, you know, going into the last night of the season, so he wouldn't get a suspension for a game that, you know, a game that mattered. Uh, it's a, it's a thing. It's an issue. And again, I'm not saying officials, this is sort of the opposite of a time. I, I'm not a, believer of that officials affect it, but there's a way that you can respect the game and respect officials to where it just makes things a little bit easier. So the sugar vinegar thing. And yeah, I think they, they do notice. And I think there's almost this element of, well, you know, what have you guys done? Marcus Smart, Isaiah Thomas to act like that, you know, to, to be able to sort of have officials feel like you're showing them up. Who are you to do that? And so I think that's a, that's the thing. You get a lot of goodwill, I think, with Brad. You know, Brad isn't a coach that really is rough on officials and things like that. But uh, I think it's a legitimate, it's a legitimate problem. I think Jared Sollinger's body language issues are less about officials than just about who he's going to be in this league. Well, you know, it's it, that is. I want you to elaborate on that because I his body language reminds me of Kendrick Perkins a little bit, and you know, Kendrick probably had at least for that that championship run and even the Al Jefferson years leading up to it, Kendrick probably had the worst body language on the team consistently. I mean, there were times when Tony Allen had some bad body language and Ricky Davis obviously had his moments as well. But really, I think Jared Sullinger reminds me of Kendrick Perkins because Kendrick was the worst. (laughs) Yeah, he did kind of have that face on all the time. Uh, You know, I think that, Jared Sollinger's issues are—it's not about officials. He's just struggling to figure out who he's gonna, who he's gonna be. And I think you've got an unbelievable better taste going into the offseason. But again, that was the worst possible matchup for Jared Sollinger. That said, I said at the start of the year that this, that this season was a very important one for Jared Sollinger, and you can't really say—you uh, know—we sort of forget how well he played at the start of the year. So it was one of those years, like, okay, this is the 
referendum season on Jared Sellinger, I think you finish that season without being able to stamp it one way. That you're like, this will never work. He's never going to be that guy. And you can't stamp it his work saying, okay, he is going to be that guy. You don't know yet. And that's another year. You know, you can't, he can't be four years in and still have all these questions. But he did play very well at the start of the year. Remember, he was like off the depth chart in the preseason. He was the 11th guy in a 10-man rotation. And then all of a sudden, he just came roaring out of the gate. You know, he was, he was hitting those threes. He, was def- he, he defended very well. Again, there's sort of the advanced metrics and the numbers that, you know, don't get a lot of attention. He rebounded very well. Um, he does a lot of, you know, he's a lot of real NBA skills. But, you know, the obvious issues are the obvious issues. He well, he stayed healthy for the year. Go ahead, John. I was just going to say he basically ended the year where he started it in, in many cases. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's funny how it <laughs> you know, I, I, and, and of course, that's the, I mean, you've got to think David Falk is just sitting there watching this, you know, crying, you know, I mean, they're going to get money, he'll get paid, one way or the other, he'll get paid, but the amount of money he's got to be, he's leaving on the table because of the way that season ended, um, it could have been a whole lot easier for him, you know, if, 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 if he were, if free agencies were to start February 1st or March 1st, uh, he would have gotten paid, you know, significantly. Yeah. Now, well. yeah, he bet on himself, and it didn't really work out. On the one hand, it it was really you could make an argument, and David Falk would make it, and he'd be right. It was a little bit silly for Garrett Sollinger to sign along, just given what we don't know about the salary situation and what the salary cap is going to be and whatever. It really, if there was ever a time to for a player in a non-contentious way to turn down an extension and to quote unquote bet on himself. I think it was the right time to do it just because the combination of the year he was going into and the salary thing changing. Like we, we, have, we don't know what we don't know about the way things are going to look salary-wise other than the Celtics may be in a disadvantageous position with Evan Turner because you're going to go into a new cap limit and new, you know, a new much higher numbers floating around with the Celtics being somewhat limited in what they can do you know, as far as giving him a raise. So it's, it's interesting. Uh, you know, on a couple levels. Well, it, it, you're right, and of course, then you have to balance the, the the desire to return players to the potential of upgrades, and you know, looking at you know the starry eyes are going to be looking at obviously the Durants of the world, and even a Nicholas Batum. You know, that's somebody in terms of the free agency who's going to be pretty pretty highly sought after. After you know, you had a you know a very sobering look, a uh, very appropriate look, as terms of where these guys are going and where this team is. Do you think you know? You mentioned earlier how that, that Golden State. There's a lot of reasons why that Golden State uh, win wasn't exactly what it appeared to be. Is this is there enough there for this team to be at least attractive? To be someone that someone someone who has a great pedigree, someone who's expecting a great sum of money, someone who who can basically call their shot wherever they want to go, do, have they done enough to this point in that eighteen month period you talked about earlier, to where they're in that conversation, to where they could make a a franchise altering move in the next you know sixty ninety days? 
Not if that's your pitch. Is that how you go up to the prettiest girl in the bar with that thing? <laughs> I do. Maybe uh, I do. we could kind it of works. be okay if maybe we John met a couple girl of in high school. That we could sort of be maybe. It's, I don't know. I mean, maybe this could be a kind of. I mean, you better come correct. If you're if you're going after the hottest girl in the bar, you better come with more than that. And that's obviously what Kevin Durant is. But yeah, you know what? I think the answer is yes to that because, again, just start. Just take your quick radar look around at what we have known for the last decade to be your first, your, the obvious free agent choices. You know, the Golden State thing, I mean, everybody wants to go play for the best team. What does Golden State, what kind of roster can they put together? What do they lose? What do they subtract? Do you want a thing or do you want your own legacy? I right, listen, I, I personally believe he'll stay in OKC and I'll stay with Westbrook. I believe that LeBron was going to stay in Miami, so I was wrong about that. Um, but I think when you look at the obvious, the places the last few years that have been destinations, Miami, um, I like, you know, obviously we all like Winslow, but they're still centered around Dwayne Wade and Luel Dang, so what's the future of Miami? You know, and then we have our dumpster fire list of the Lakers and Houston and Phoenix and the normal places that you would look. So when you start subtracting all this stuff and then say, okay, where is my best chance to win? Which team has flexibility? Which team can bring in a second star? Which team has infrastructure? Which team has the coach? Which team has a great tradition? Which team has – and when I say tradition, by the way, with these guys now, we're talking about, I'm talking about Pearson Garnett and Doc Rivers and Rondo and Ray Allen. I'm not talking about uh, Havlicek. checks. That's, you know, for, that's a one-tenth of one percent of players care about Havlicek and Kuzi and stuff like that. I'm talking about – I've said for years the most significant thing to happen in the last couple of years was the night that Pearson Garnett and Doc Rivers came back. And the players that were in the league now saw what a special place this is to come and play and win. And I think some people kind of really get that now. Um, I think it's a it's an obvious place. If how do you not look at it if you're Kevin Durant? How do you not put it on your short list of places where you could really have a chance to win and do something do something special and and bring a super friend? You know, um, I sort of you know I kind of go back and forth on this idea of getting somebody first. To sort of tent, you know, the Ray Allen theory, the whole Kevin Garnett thing, like get somebody first. I remember that night that happened. Max and I got heat because we were doing a draft show that night, and the Celtics made the move for Ray Allen, and there's no Garnett yet in the picture. That first wave of it had fallen apart. So the Celtics at that point had Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, Al Jefferson, whatever, and Max and I were saying the teams are going to be lining up to play against it because that looked like one of the worst defensive lineups <laughs> you could possibly have. So, you know, this idea of getting one without the other. I'm not really necessarily all into that as a as a risky proposal to show that you're serious. I think everyone knows the Celtics are serious and that you know they can make it they can make it work. But my biggest message for May, you know, for the first week of May, enjoy it. Hell yeah, think about the possibility. The Celtics are in the are the Celtics a favorite to land Kevin Garnett? No, you can't call them that. Are they in the game? Of course they're going to be in the game. So enjoy that. Enjoy every moment of it. Enjoy every moment of the high draft pick and all of it. You know, you gotta. Well, this is the time to think that anything is possible. But going into an Atlanta series, when I'm like, I think the Hawks are going to win this in five, and I think the Celtics are really banged up and they're not playing as well as they did early in the year, and I'm not okay. There's time for that's caution, you know. But now, my gosh, why not? Yeah, you know, there was a lot of a lot of discussion about that. Well, if they didn't get a first series win, you know, a win in that first round, that somehow discredits their ability. I, I, I didn't believe that necessarily. No. There's a lot of qualifying factors that put them in that situation. But do, do they need to make a move to get 
Kevin Durant? Do they need to make a trade? Do they need to get Jimmy Butler to get Durant, as Scal suggested? Or do they need to, to make another deal to you know, get Al Horford under, you know, under, under contract first before they get – I mean, is there, is there a move before the move just like there was with Garnett? How do you foresee that you know, successfully happening for the Celtics? Uh, like I said, I'm not a automatic – I mean, talk to the Kevin Durant people about it. You know, talk to his people yeah. about who we want. Listen, this is how this works now. This is a network of people. I mean, when the Boogie Cousins thing comes up, Isaiah Thomas says, I'll do it. I'll talk to him. You know, I mean, Kevin Durant can call Jimmy Butler. And that way the Celtics aren't, you know, they're not tampering with anybody. They're not. I think players are pretty sophisticated as knowing how this whole thing works now. And, you know, what the ways that the ways this all can happen. Well, one of the interesting things is we're trying to take something that worked once and see if we could reapply it to work again. There you and go. There you certainly, go. Let, let, me, let sure. me jump in. I wanted to say that this is what, you know, for the people that got to hear my, I don't do those big dramatic uh, soliloquy opens anymore. I do them for special occasions. And I certainly did one of the final, because I thought it would be the final game, you know, game six, so I kind of did it. And it was really about, admit it. You know, you wanted to say, you were like, the last couple of years, a lot of fans were like, hey, this is fun, this is nice, this is Brad Stevens thing, and the Jay Crowder thing, this is all nice, and Isaiah Thomas, but hey, Danny, can you do that, that thing that you did? You know, getting like one of the 15 best players ever in the history of the game, and like the best shooter, could you do that thing again, where you did that? And, get the, and really what it was about was, and again, using as we talked earlier about Kevin Durant and Kevin Love, it really was about, while we, while everybody was in the room, like staring at the pretty girls, like how do you get them you know, how do we land the, the, you realize you've fallen in love with the one that's right in front of you and that Celtic fans had fallen in love with this team and this whole idea of how hard they play. This is a true Celtics team overachieving the last year and a half. And I think it took a lot of people a lot of time to sort of not abandon that other road, but to realize, all right, you were three years into this thing. You're on the other road. Now you can switch to the fast lane here. If Kevin Durant decides, you know what, give me Jimmy Butler and I'm in, then yeah, of course you can, and you're in position to do that. But uh, it's been a pretty enjoyable couple of years, and I think the no, the nights you had at the Garden here, Game Three, Game Four, Game Six, the, the fact that you would have those nights so soon, a year and a half removed from being 16 and 30, you know, into this Brad Stevens era, this third, this is pretty remarkable how fast this whole thing has happened for people. I know people didn't want to go through it at the start. Oh, it's going to take forever, and we want now. If the Internet isn't working in 30 seconds, we have a fit. We have to get everything now. Give me now. Give me now. I, want I think fans really had realized that they've kind of fallen in love with, with not so much the, you know, if not the process, the pieces that the process has brought. Well, great attitudes and, you know, a lot of underrated guys like Evan Turner and Will Go There. Uh, for sure, look at a couple of guys that, you know, maybe maybe or maybe not coming back. But I think everybody has enjoyed the process, and the Celtics haven't even began to collect on the return that they really got for letting Garnett and Pierce go. And I know a lot of people were very upset about Pierce not finishing his career. And while I think it's inf- unfortunate, from a business perspective, oh, yeah. there's no question that Danny did the right thing and said <laughs> in his that own now. error that he would have done it before. I know. If, it, if things hadn't gone well, it would have been ugly. The right? gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> but let's say this real quick to put a cap on the free agency, free agency conversation. Here's the difference in trying to recreate the situation. 
That's why the question always comes back to the same one. Let's say the Celtics can trade for somebody in the same manner that they did Ray Allen. They try to execute the exact same plan. At the end of the day, the big difference between grabbing a free agent and trading for Kevin Garnett was that the ownership in Minnesota didn't want Kevin Garnett. And I'm not saying they didn't want him, but they were ready to move they on were. from him. And that is not the case in Oklahoma City, nor any other major free agent that is going to change the destiny of the Boston Celtics. They are 100% wanted in the town that they're in, with the exception of maybe like a DeMarcus Cousins, yeah. but he's still a trade opportunity, not a free agent opportunity. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question. It's not History is made by people that find the next path, not that repeat the one that came before it's like there's a there's a flaw in the old history is or you know those that don't study history are doomed to repeat it well my version of that is that people that try to repeat history are doomed to fail because it's it's always different the next time it's not you know the, the history is written by the people that saw the next route to get there nobody was talking about super teams and super friends and Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett in 2006 this wasn't now everybody, okay, that's how the Celtics did it, so let's do the Super Friends. The same way everybody's saying now, let's do what Golden State is doing. And so you, you can't, it's, there's a danger in getting too invested three to five years down the road in something that happened that's happening now. Just there's a danger in getting invested in something that happened nine years ago. It doesn't, it doesn't always work that way anymore. Yeah, it'd be not, listen, that whole thing with, with Rondo, they're talking about Rondo staying here. Okay, Kevin Love and Carmelo Anthony and, you know, try to, try to do the whole thing again. But it doesn't, it just rarely works like that. Well, you keep using the super friends term, and we know that this roster is super friendly. Like, they love each other. It's pretty clear. Yeah. And Isaiah Thomas in tears at the podium, wrapping up his season, obviously frustrated, and a lot of commentary about, will these guys be coming back? Gosh, I hope so. We want another shot at this thing. They are really young. There's no reason to think that this squad wouldn't continue to improve with time just because players generally get better. They don't always get better, but generally they do as they approach the age of 30. So, But there's a lot of picks. There's a lot of opportunity. We know all of that. Let me ask you, Jarebko had a nice series. Turner showed some things and improved all year long. It'd almost be, and I said this on our last show to John, Turner would almost make a mistake walking away from Boston because Brad Stevens the best thing that ever happened to him. But do you think Jarebko and Turner are back? I mean, I know we talked about Jared already, and my thought is that Jared moves on and the Celtics move on from Jared. But Jarebko and Turner, what's your take on those two? I hope they're back. I really do. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know what the numbers look like for Evan Turner, and I don't know what he's willing. I, I have a... I think it's suspicion it's going to come down to will Evan Turner take a little less to stay here? And I don't know if it's going to be a little less or a lot less. That's that's a significant question. But uh, I hope so because of the way they fit. And that Evan Turner was just a guy the league was ready to throw away. I just find it, it it's unfathomable to me how players come in with great talent and then don't immediately have the success you think they're going to have and you just want to move on to what's next. And I think people are and Evan Turner may be an example of this. I call the draft order. I call the draft order the scarlet number because that number is with you forever. Mike Dunleavy, third pick in the draft. You get that in the Darko Melchior, second pick in the draft. It doesn't matter where the next day. It doesn't matter where you were drafted. It's like when you buy a house. 
hey, I bought this house for $400,000. The next day, it's not worth, it's no longer worth $400,000. It's worth whatever you can get for it minus your mortgage. You know what I'm saying? Like that's how much, that, that number, which stands in the book in the agate type forever, becomes irrelevant the next day. And where guys rank and where they stay, you know, I'm much more interested in the guys like Isaiah Thomas that it doesn't matter where they get drafted. Where are they now? It's as if guys stop developing and the guy that was picked eighth is always going to be a better player than the guy who was picked 11th. And we just forget. Evan Turner went into a situation with, I'm not knocking, listen, Doug Collins is brilliant. I love Doug Collins, but not every player is going to fit with every coach. And that was not a good situation for him. He's very frustrated by Evan Turner. He's one of those players a little like Antoine Walker, not in the similarity in the way they play, but sometimes it's hard to find the four guys that fit around him with the skill set. And it just took a little while to it took a little while to do that. But Evan Turner's got some things to make him a special player. I mean he's got fourth quarter DNA and uh, and I love it. Plus we'd really miss the post game interviews. Yeah, he he got the inaugural Jeff Twist Award for his interaction with the media, which I thought was a really cool award, and that was yeah. a throwaway line in an article, I think, from Scott Souza, but it might have been Bullpet, but it was a good, you know, it was, it was kind of interesting to see that, you know, come out, because I think that's more and more important, the way that teams are, are running their marketing, and with all of this internet media, of which, you know, I was somebody that was on the front end of that, and so was John and, and others, Celtics blog, to, to, to also name a few. But at the end of the day, I think somebody like Evan Turner, I don't, I'm not sure we're going to get the mileage on that, but when we have the free agent conversation, remember that the Celtics really struggle to get role players around an aging Pearson Garnett, and I think that's part of the reason Danny knew he had to move on. A story like Brad resurrecting Evan Turner's career when it looked like he might literally fall out of the league after being number two overall would be a lot of mileage once this team hits a point where their assets are capping out the salary that they have available. Uh, if that if, if Evan Turner doesn't get repeated with other players as the Celtics slowly approach that situation, which there will come a day when they'll find themselves in the exact same position. The resources are gone, the salaries taken up by the players that make up their core, and they've got to go out and beat out other teams to get affordable role players. I, I hope there's still some legs, and I hope Brad continues to show that he can help players maximize their value when it looks like they have no home anywhere else in the league. Uh, and, you know, so far, what else What else could you want, really, from Brad Stevens? And not just what he's done, but really that other people are catching on to it. Mm. There's a lot of really good coaches in the league, but I'm not sure there's, you know, there's almost there's a lot more buzz than he's comfortable with, I'll tell you that, certainly. But, you know, uh, we say with Kelly Olenek, the bounce is real. With Brad Stevens, the buzz is real. You know, it's real. Players know it. That LeBron thing is something legit. That really happened. And players have taken note of it that, you know, what, what does a player want in a coach in 2017 in the NBA? A player that's going to make him better, that's going to allow him to be the best player he can be, and uh, you know, a player in an honest moment would tell you they don't necessarily want a coach that's going to be the spotlight guy, that wants the spotlight on, you know, it's going to be like me, me, me. But I think the biggest thing of all is the there are coaches that advertently or inadvertently show players up or express their emotions or whatever, and Brad never does it. He's a, it's funny because he doesn't have a military background, but there's the, the very military thing of you know, praise in public and criticize in private kind of stuff that, you know, Brad will whisper something in your ear. You'll never know that he just cussed you out. 
you know, fans will never know, media will never know, TV will never know, but you'll know. And that's the way it should be. So let me ask you, Brad gets a ton of love, especially from John and I. I don't even know that we've handed out one criticism in the second half of the season at all, but I have to ask you this question, especially because I know you're watching the games very closely, and to your point, you looked at that final game of the season in a completely different light, as well as you know game six and in your prediction. What are Brad Stevens' shortcomings? What are the things that Brad Stevens needs to improve on? Because I don't think anybody talks about it, because exactly like you said, how can you not be happy with what's happened in just a few short years? Not only in, in Brad Stevens' camp, but also Danny Ainge's. It's just really hard to criticize the success that they've had so quickly. But what are his shortcomings? I know he's great out of timeouts. I'll tell you, here's here's the answer. I'm not sure we've necessarily seen them yet. I think the first year, if you go back and look at some of the stuff he did first year, I think he was was really thrown into the deep end. And there were mistakes he made, just, you know, like coaching-wise, tactical mistakes. He was just bringing his approach and just trying to get better at it every day. You could tell, to me, the difference in Brad as a coach was when he came back for the second year. Like when you go back as a sophomore and you know where everything is in the school and you know where your locker is and you know where they're like, it was just completely different, like hitting the ground running versus feeling it all out. But I think that we may not know the answer to that question yet because we haven't had, you know, he hasn't had a lot of situations like, let's say the Marcus Cousins was here and you had to deal with all that stuff, you know, things like that. We just don't really know yet if push comes to shove, if he's sort of pushed by a player as there are some players, because, you know, Danny's done a great job in bringing in players that aren't like that. And maybe that's the area that we don't, you know, we just don't, we don't Well, and that yet. may be part of the plan. That might be part of True. Danny Ainge's plan to address culture. And But I will also say this. I think you brought up the only question mark I can think of is how does Brad handle a star who thinks he's bigger than the team yeah. or bigger than the game because Brad's you, you, know, you, know, you know what he'd, you know what he'd say to that? I'll tell you what he'd say to that. He'd say, um, let's find out. <laughs> you know, let's give me a star. I, I was on with, you know, Felger. I remember being on with Felger one time. He's like, Carmelo Anthony. Brad Stevens doesn't want to coach Carmelo. He doesn't want Carmelo Anthony here. And I just literally stopped and, like, leaned forward in my chair. I said, Mike, I'll bet you every dollar I have in my – and, of course, this is insider trading because I already knew the answer to that question because I talked to him about it off the air. But I guarantee you that Brad Stevens would love to have Carmelo Anthony or another superstar. I mean – can you imagine what he does? We're talking about, I, I use the MacGyver, really old reference, I shouldn't have, but, you know, MacGyver and, you know, bringing a knife to a gunfight and all the other stuff, you know, the smoke and mirrors only get you so far. Imagine, can, can we just imagine what would happen if the Celtics had anybody that could shoot a three well? You're talking about Avery Bradley. These are average three, um, these, I mean, seriously, these are average three-point shooters. The Celtics offense no, does not so average. much get, Well, I'm talking about their best three-point shooters. Avery Bradley, Avery Bradley, who's probably the best and most reliable, you know, as far as a volume three-point shooter, is right in the middle of the league, dead center in the league. And by the way, these are just percentages of three-point shots. These don't take into account all the advanced metrics about open looks. I mean, these are open looks. The Celtics are a bad three-point shooting team. They get better looks than most. Can you imagine... If you were to add just a few more ingredients, skill-wise, to this team, and you could say, "Well, we don't know. We don't know what Brad Stevens could do because he didn't have that at Butler, and he doesn't have," so maybe we don't know. But you know what I'm saying? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's glaringly obvious on the floor that those open shots that are getting missed are just killing them because it also takes away from what Isaiah Thomas can do. And and I'll, you know, that's probably the most impressive thing about Isaiah. You know, I know that he he got doubled and Atlanta finally threw the Cleveland treatment at him. And we saw a little bit of what we had seen from Isaiah. And I know there's also reports that he was injured. But as as you look at the season on the whole, he really did an amazing job considering they couldn't they could not help him out and space that floor. Yeah. Uh, there was a stretch when they were playing their best and Crowder and Olenek were nailing them and Avery was doing his average thing and it opened up the entire game heading into the All Star break. But as soon as he didn't have that, it was miserable. And there were moments earlier in the season when they couldn't knock him down either, leading up to the point where they lost to Brooklyn in early January. Biggest adjustment we're talking about here is, I mean, what, what are we, desperation, we got to get, let's get Jonas Jarebko in there. That was the big move. That's all he had to do. And by the way, I mean, I love, I love Jonas. Love him. I love what he brings. I love his veterans. I, you know, I love all the stuff. But this was the big move that Brad Stevens had to, you know, this was all he could do was insert Jonas Jarebko into the starting lineup because that was all he had. So, yeah, I mean, imagine if you just had a few more, Ingredients, you know, maybe R.J. Hunter in three or four years will be that guy. I don't know. Well, let, before we wrap, Sean, I want to just take out, go away from the Celtics for a second to really talk about probably the greatest Celtic of the time. Hold on, da- da- Daddy's on the air, but we were just saying by the time maybe you're nine or ten years old, the Celtics will have somebody that can shoot three. <laughs> it's only four. <laughs> oh God! You have, you have an argument against that? <laughs> I think they are pretty close to nine, aren't they, John? Okay, when I'm when I'm done with this when I'm done with this interview, I'm told that my son has something he has to tell me. So that's probably a pretty good indication we should get to the last. That's a good one. We should get to the last question. That's a good one. Oh, I thought that was John's. No, kid. no, that's John. <laughs> that's John, John hasn't talked most of this interview because his kids weren't going to bed nicely, and he's got two boys. And you know, the oldest I think is is close to nine, or is he almost ten? He's nine, but almost ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, it's funny that that's actually your son. <laughs> I took him to the uh, Brunswick Charlotte game. He sat with me in the booth. I got these great pictures with the headset on. Whatever, getting the next generation ready. So. Fantastic. He's got great pedigree. <laughs> Absolutely. I think he can take over the family business. There you go. <laughs> I want to know when you take him to the MMA game. That's what I'm really interested. I want to. I want to know when he when he goes and and watches some fight night. He'll get there. I'm sure. I'm sure. It's been an interesting year. I'll tell you that, guys. <laughs> well, is it the to, to, to pull this? Uh, to veer right very quickly here, and speaking of the end, the end of this interview, but also, is this the end for Paul Pierce? Did we see the last of Paul I, I think it is. I, I really do. I know a lot of people think he's going to come back and whatever. I just, just talking to people that were talking to him and just seeing him during the year, I just think he's given, he's given it all. You know, he's given his, his body, he's pushed it as far as he can push it. You know, I guess as his teammate once said, anything is possible. I just, I'm sort of, as I'm in the minority on most things, I'm in the minority on that. I just have a hunch this may be. It's hard to see it with all that he's done and the team. You know, they really need him (laughs) more so than anybody, especially at this point. And it doesn't appear he has that to give, sadly. So, 
Uh, very it's, it's sad to see, but hopefully there's a spot for him back here or maybe on TV. He'd be great on TV, don't you think? Wait, these games are on TV too? The rumor. <laughs> <laughs> just on the just the big ones, on the big the four letter network, uh-huh. you know. <laughs> oh, Sean. <laughs> Any chance they pull him back and, and sign him for one game and do the whole... You know what's you know, funny? A lot of people ask about that. I don't know how the, how the league works with that. I know how they do it in Major League Baseball. I'm not sure how that works. With, I mean, in theory, you could do a 10-day thing, but you can't do that until the middle of the year, so I'm not really sure. Uh, I actually don't know the answer to that. I have to find it out. That would be pretty cool, though. They could do a 10-day contract yeah. in the middle of the year. Yeah. It really wouldn't matter. What a lift, to your point, and we'll end on this, but what a lift. The same way that coming back that first game and all the oh, yeah, other potential stars, it would really do something yeah. to, to give them some cachet and free agency, no doubt. I agree. All right, Sean. Listen, thank you very much for coming on the show, helping us wrap up this season. Uh, obviously, plenty to look forward to, and I am sure that we will talk to you over the summer, uh, especially once some, some moves have been made and we have a pretty good idea of what this team's going to look like heading into next season. Well, you know where to find me somewhere on Spike TV and you know in the Bellator cage. I'll be I'll be there. Traveling, you're a traveling man now, aren't you? With the passport stamp a little bit over the last few months. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. All right, my man. Have a great one. Thank you again for your time, and we'll talk to you soon. You got it, guys. Thanks, Sean. Sean Grandy, everyone, and Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio. John and Justin, what a great way to wrap up this season. Like I said. In the intro, Sean's one of the best in the business. One of, but certainly a excellent guest for us always. And uh, he really is burning the candle at both ends, though, right? Doing the MMA Bellator, traveling all over, still fitting in the Celtics games. This man is bananas. He's killing it. He is. He is. And, you know, what I love about having Sean on here, he always makes you think. He always makes you say something that you hadn't really thought of in that way or or that, you know, that just a little bit of a, a different angle on things than, than, than what you might normally expect. And... You know, sometimes he's right, sometimes he's wrong, uh, but but he always makes you think about it, and that's what I love about having Sean on here because he he doesn't he doesn't take the same path everyone does to to the to the answers, and you know as you said he was he was very you know skeptical. I I I think that Atlanta in five is was a skeptical uh, opinion before the series that, that seemed to be a bit down on the Celtic side, but. When you when you step back and take a look at the way the series ran, he really wasn't that far off at all. Uh, no, and I was disappointed with the way that the series played out. I really felt like the post. I felt like the season was a success. I didn't feel like the postseason was a success without a first round win. And I did see Atlanta winning in seven, not in six, but I thought they would win in seven. But but really, uh, you know, Jay Crowder wasn't 100% at all. He was improving as the series went on, but Isaiah Thomas also broke down a little bit. It was a lot to carry uh, this whole team, and not hitting three-pointers didn't do anything to help him like, like Sean talked about. But you want to talk about Nuggets, how about the Robert Swift bomb? Like, we definitely haven't talked about Robert Swift in a good long time. You know, it, you you think, just when you think that piece of 
history, not unlike Marcus Banks, is is gone. <laughs> they just they come right I'll up. I'll never hear the end of it. <laughs> nope, nope. That one that one's here to stay. That one's here I to stay. It. <laughs> I deserve it. There's no doubt. Hey, and the other one, which it really does tee up the uh, draft. But the other one he brought up was the whole Odin Durant. And if you remember back in our good old days, I was 100% in the Durant camp. You were 100% entrenched in the Odin camp. And you're probably, if I know you, you're going to stand by that based on the information that we had available at the time. However, I don't think this year we're going to have that debate. I think I'm pretty much, unless you're going to say Dragon Bender, you know, over, <laughs> over Jalen Brown. I mean that, and that might be where the heart of this happens. Come May seventeenth, once we see where they are, and the debate will be: Well, what if they don't trade, make a trade on draft night, and put their best foot forward because something isn't available? I, I I'm still feeling, and, and Steve Pet did write a great article this week about you know, listen, luck is going to play a big part in all of this. Yep. But, and I agree with that. However, I still have a pretty good feeling about their ability to make a trade, but it will depend on where the pick lands and, and, and what pieces are going to be required. But I will say I'm definitely Jalen Brown over Dragon Bender. Uh, I know a lot of people want to bring Buddy Heald in because they think that's going to bring some shooting and some scoring, and I'm fine with that if we get pushed even further down. But I think you've got to draft with the intention of other pieces can still be moved later versus just trying to cure the problems with a draft pick for next year. Uh, but the Durant-Odin debate, it's really not there for us this year, is it? Well, there's the Ingram-Simmons. I mean, if, if you get one and two, you know, I yeah, think... But you and I are in the same camp. We right? are. Yeah, like you said, I think we are... I think we're pretty much aligned in terms of one, two, where where to go with that. Um, yeah, and, and uh, you know, you're right. I mean, we could get down to three, four, five, and, and there's going to be some different, some different permutations. And I think a lot of that will be... Based upon on player need, I, I really do think that you know, for example, Philly. Let's say they end up third; they're not taking Bender. I mean, there's just no way for them. No reasonable, <laughs> no reasonable person would take Bender if they if they end up third. You know, so they they've got to look at the guards. They got to look at the forwards and see who's out there. Um, Lake, the Lakers. We really do see this the same. Where this is going to be a really ugly debate. If they land at the three spot, we're going to, you and I are going to be talking about Jimmy Butler a whole lot yep. because yep. because if you know we're in the same camp with the draft for probably the first time since we did our initial mm-hmm. draft show, and I'm I'm sure that we're going to have another live draft show this year because it's kind of our calling card. So that is undoubtedly going to happen. Um, Let's go back then, before we look forward, let's kind of wrap up and maybe close the thought or close the loop on some thoughts that we discussed with Sean that you and I haven't debated. I'm going to go right to Brad MacGyver, Steven Swiss Army Knife, Evan <laughs> Turner. I think he's the biggest the biggest question. Gone or stays? So, uh, like, well, either way. I, I and give it a percentage. You can put them. You can say it's seventy-five percent. He's gone. Twenty-five percent. He stays. Yeah. Like I'm not looking for That's, for a black and white answer from you. Like where do you land? I, I think he's seventy-five percent. He's gone. And and I think you look at the issues with shooting. 
that the team has. No doubt. I mean, I, I appreciate. I have a greater appreciation for what he did in playmaking, in moving the ball, and keeping things. You know, in getting this this team set at times when Isaiah Thomas isn't on the floor, or even when Isaiah Thomas is on the floor. But to put a, someone in his position, pay them ten million dollars a year, and give them as many minutes. It's not as so much the money as the minutes. You're gonna, you get, you have to pe- play Evan Turner, and you're gonna play Evan Turner, and you're not gonna have shooting. You're not gonna get rid of Marcus Smart unless you're upgrading to a Jimmy Butler type. You're not gonna get rid of Jay Crowder unless you're upgrading to a Nicholas Batum or a you know someone else who who can really sh- score. So. Where else do you get shooting? And you look, there's only a finite number of minutes out there. And are you gonna up? Are you gonna re-sign the guy to a ten million dollar a year contract when you have young players that need to fill gaps? You need to use cap space to sign much more talented players. I just think this is it for him. I, you know, I, I again, I see value, but I, I just don't think it makes sense for him to return. All right, so one of the strengths of this Celtics team is, has been continuity and camaraderie. Yep. So this is the way I go with it. It doesn't make sense not to re-sign Evan Turner unless, to your point, like a Nick Batum, where it's an obvious upgrade. And so if the team does not make any consoli- moves to consolidate talent and picks, then I think it is likely that he's gone for all the reasons you just mentioned. So rather than say 75-25, I'm going to make it more conditional and say that if this team does consolidate talent, then I put it at 80% Evan comes back. If they address the issues in the trades that they want to execute to be able to upgrade talent at other positions, and I think Evan Turner's fine with being a sixth man, especially on this squad, but he can't be a seventh man. He can't be an eighth man, and he can't all of a sudden be an uncomfortable piece. He's still got to serve his role. Now, having said that, a lot of upgrade and talent-type trades are not going to just be picks. The guys that you mentioned, like an Avery Bradley or a Jay Crowder, those guys may have to be packaged for a true, substantial, and significant upgrade at any position because they're the best we have that would still be tradable other than, you know, Marcus Banks. Oh, no, Marcus Smart. <laughs> but Marcus Marcus Smart's got a home here. I really would be very reluctant to trade him. I don't, you know, and I know a lot of people are going to say we're crazy, but he's still so young. But somebody like Avery Bradley, and even and as much as I love Jay Crowder, and I think Crowder should move to the four or five, and, and this team should sort of commit to the three and D by doing so, even though that's probably, you know, th- that he's a player that is really tough to let go of, I still say that if you can upgrade substantially at a position, that you're going to have to give up some talent with the picks. And I think Bradley and Crowder are the the most likely suspects for that. If that happens, there's a position on this squad from Evan Turner, for Evan Turner coming off the bench, and there's still some money to give to him. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think that that in the absence of other players, there could that could create a home for him here. I, I think the question will be timing of of his free agency, are there teams that are going to jump and try to get him first thing, knowing that the Celtics really have to wait that process out until they know what's going to happen with Durant and others? 
you know, in that case, the Celtics are really in a tough spot. If Evan Turner is willing to play ball with them and he wants to come back as much as it seems like he does, then he maybe will maybe willing to be patient through that process. He's seen how it is to live on the other side. He he's been in, in Indiana and it didn't work out. He's been in Philly and it didn't work out. So he understands that just jumping to the next situation isn't always the best situation. So I think a reasonable offer from the Celtics could secure him. Well, it's just do they make it? Right. Well, that that's exactly right. I think the question is do they make it, and is that in their best interest to 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 lock themselves into him. And as long as he is still under a contract that's easily movable in the next 18 months, I, I, I don't have any, any heartburn about re-signing him. But any hometown discount is going to include a no-trade clause. I don't know. Those aren't very common. I mean, even, even Kobe was, I think Kobe was the only one that had one. So I don't think... He, Garnett had one. Well, he did. That's true. But now I know Evan Turner's not Kobe or Garnett. But my yeah, point is this: long shot. everybody knows that if he's taking less money to stay in Boston, that that's a commitment to Boston, right? This is his—he's a fifteen-five-and-five guy. This and the salary cap's going up. This is his payday. Everybody knows it. Now, if you package players and picks and you consolidate talent, and maybe the salary goes up a little bit, that. You're not you're adding a superstar, but you're not adding salary. And the truth is, is this team has enough money open in free agency to add two superstars. Now, if they get one in trade and lose some players, then they're going to have to spend a little money for depth. They'll still only have two superstars. They're not going to swing for the fences and get three. But some of that money left over can be to players, I think, like Evan Turner, to maintain some level of consistency coming in off the bench. And he does give you you know, a lot of flexibility with who your ball handler is coming off the bench. And if he's the first sub in for Marcus Smart, then he can play alongside uh, Isaiah Thomas, and Thomas gets off ball. There's a lot of reasons why he still fits this squad, depending on who they're upgrading for. And especially if they upgrade at the four, and they're you know, and it costs them somebody like Jay Crowder, now it's almost a no-brainer that somebody like Evan Turner would need to come back, especially if it's costing you. Like I just, Crowder. I looking at looking at the series and looking at their inability to hit a three pointer, they can't afford to give a guy like Evan Turner or or to return with Evan Turner getting the same type of minutes he was getting. I don't think they can afford that. If you, if you're going to keep Marcus Smart, then then you're and you're going to play a three guard lineup or a two guard lineup and you know, you still have Avery Bradler, who's a middle of the pack guy. Isaiah is a pl- is a pretty is a good three point shooter, but you're gonna have a, a, a minus three three point shooter with Marcus. You have Jay, who's trying to get to average. They, I'm not sure they can have that extra guy who's in that mix be somebody who's not a plus, let alone a very much a minus three point shooter. So. That's that's the struggle. Is that to me is like I see all the value. I see he's a good fit. I see you know if he if he had the three point shot and and creates that space, they may still be playing right now for one. But but two, I think that that's that's the issue for me is that they this team doesn't shoot the ball well and his departure 
Sullinger's departure, that's their opportunity to, to, to upgrade in that regard. And it could be through the draft. That will help Buddy Heald, Brandon Ingram. Any, either of those guys are going to help you there. But you need more. And and I think Evan Turner blocks, you know, he blocks R.J. Hunter. He blocks, uh, you know, Terry Rozier to some aspect. Um like you said, there's going to be a deal that's going to happen. They're going to consolidate. We've been How disappointed will you be if they don't? Very. Very. I was disappointed. So you look at this, this as, a, right, so right. at the trade deadline to make the run right. that just didn't happen. So is this, as much as we talked with Sean about, hey, look, this team is positioned very well. You have to be very excited about what they've done. But they've collected these assets. Do you look at this? I mean, because they can't keep, they can't make all these picks without cutting people. Even if they didn't re-sign Johnson, Turner, they could not re-sign a ton of people. But they just have so many picks, they're still going to have to cut somebody that they drafted this year or last year, uh, or they're going to have to stow a good amount of people uh, overseas, which might be the vote for Dragon Bender. Simply on that, yeah, uh, aspect of things, right? I, I can't. So, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. So I mean, it is. Is this it? Is this real? I mean, are we? Do you look at it like this is really like I'm gonna I'm gonna use I'm gonna use some language? Is this shit or get off the pot time? <laughs> well, I, I think to some in some respect it is. They're gonna have to do something, right? I mean, they're gonna have to do something with Amir Johnson. They're gonna have to do something with Jonas Drebko. Those guys are either gonna stay or gonna go, right? You get three draft picks. You're either gonna draft and stash. Okay, I can't. I don't think they do that with a third pick. I don't think they draft and stash Dragon Bender. I, I think someone, whoever they pick this year in this draft is coming over, unless it's probably twenty three. You know, unless, unless it's that late in the draft, and you know, you can get away with it. They, otherwise, they're gonna get somebody who can help them. They, they're close enough, right? They're close enough to where the right guy, either at sixteen or three or two or one or five puts them into a position where they, they win that series that we just watched. You know what I mean? They're, they're close. That's why you asked Grandy that question. Right. Because you're thinking that, first off, just knowing why you asked that question now, I'm going to have to go on to Grandy's side. I think that's a lot to expect from a young player. But, but that is your expectation. Now, if it's Ingram, maybe, I mean, look, if it's a number one overall pick, you have every right to expect a lot. Even if it's a number two overall pick, you have a right to expect a lot. Just ask Evan Turner, because that certainly didn't stop people for having expectations of him. But at the same time, look what that did for him, or did to him. Now, he would have been in what I would consider to be some of the absolute worst spots in the league possible when it was happening to him, whereas whoever gets drafted by the Celtics, Brad's got a great way of just emphasizing their strengths and in that probably that player would not end up getting the Evan Turner treatment, at least not the Philadelphia in the, you know, Philadelphia Evan Turner treatment. Maybe they'd get the Boston Evan Turner treatment. But, but the point being, I still think it's a lot to say that that person or that player is going to come in and basically do only what Marcus Smart did outside of Isaiah Thomas in the series against Atlanta, right? That was pretty exceptional. I thought Marcus Smart deserves a lot of kudos for just the cojones that he had 
to try to win some of these games for this club, and he deserves the starting nod, and it might cost us Avery Bradley in trade. Right. Well, and that's the thing is like all of this has like a real there's a real domino effect, right? And that's what that's what I look look at is that you know when I say like would I be disappointed without a con, you know consolidating move? It's like there one move. Is has to lead to three or four more, you know, just because of that. Just like you were saying, <laughs> just because you can't trade away your best three-point shooter who's only average and put Marcus Smart in the lineup and not expect that this year's problems will still happen. Right. There almost needs to be another move. There needs to be a shooter on the floor with those two. Exactly. Yeah, you got to. You you just you're you're forced. Even Kyle Carver was doing it for exactly. Atlanta. I mean, you go away from a guy who's a playmaker. Let's say you go away from a playmaking type of guard like Evan Turner, and in return you get a guy, you know, like Mirza Toledovich, you know, out of out of Phoenix. You know, you get a guy like that. Now he plays a different position, and and you know, there's a whole bunch of different things that come with that. But what does that floor look like now when you have? <laughs> a dead eye shooter in that side, Isaiah dead eye shooter on one side, you know, whether you got Bradley in the other corner, you've got, you know, Crowder in the other corner and Marcus. Well then that's that's the type of floor balance that makes it really hard to to clog the paint like we saw against Atlanta. You know, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be game playing to beat Atlanta because quite frankly there's a fair chance that Jeff Teague isn't going to be around or maybe it's it's Horford or maybe it's Millsap or maybe 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 I mean, there's a lot of things that could go wrong in Atlanta so we shouldn't be game playing for Atlanta but we should be game planning for the fact that as 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 we heard from Sean Grandy we we are. We are a terrible shooting team, yet we got so many great looks. We've got to be able to get guys who can make those open looks. Maybe it's it's Brandon Ingram at the first pick. Maybe it's Buddy Heald with the fifth pick. Maybe it's you know Batum. Maybe it's you know Butler. But somebody's going to be there, and that's why I just don't see the room there for a guy like Evan Turner. I feel like. You can get a you you can learn. That's why I say it's only if they're if they're consolidating right. the roster. Yes, yes. So yeah, I mean we're somewhat. It could still there. be a six if they make similar trades to what they did when they got Ray Allen, and then obviously they had to send pieces for Kevin Garnett, yeah. which they won't in this scenario. But let's just say that that roster tightens up to the point where they need an Andy House and a Posey to just fill out the roster. There's no reason to think there isn't a spot for Evan Turner and. Keep in mind, it could cost this club quite a bit of money. There's also another, we've always talked about maybe we just package one player and then, you know, throw up, throw in a bunch of picks and, and trade exceptions and this and that to make it work, right? But what if it takes multiple players and less picks and then maybe that's the best thing for this team? Because to your point, there's guys that need to get playing time. There's still going to be a number of young players and the future of this club, you know, what if you could move two players and only one of the Brooklyn picks and keep the other two? You know, that that would be a lot better than trading one player and two picks, potentially. It depends on the package and who's coming back. But just think about that a little bit and let that kind of settle in because they already have so many young players and it might not be a bad idea to create room for those guys 
and retain draft picks to continue adding or having a shot to continue to add really top tier talent right. year after year. Right. Because I mean, part of what, you know, Eric Weiss, this, I kind of go back to <laughs> Eric Weiss on our show talking about this is in the going back to 2008, 2007. And we're talking about what's going on and uh, you know, how to build from within that's where this team is right now. You've got to get value out of guys like Terry Rozier, out of out of RJ Hunter, out of James Young. You've got to find ways to turn to show that these guys are valuable NBA players that are worth trading elsewhere. And and unfortunately, the way that this roster has been configured for the last year, we haven't really seen that. Terry Rozier I think really finally has got probably a month worth of good tape on him. And that's that's great. But it's not enough to make him, you know, a piece that valuable in trade exactly. enough to give him up. There has to he has to he has to become more valuable in trade than he is to the team. Right. And he's he's nowhere near yeah. hitting that tradable threshold and he's not gonna be until there's room on the roster. And and maybe to your point, even if they consolidate Maybe you still let Evan Turner walk so that somebody like Terry Rozier still is the third guard off the bench behind uh, Smart and Thomas. I mean, look, they've got they've got about I don't know it, it's about they have two max slots. Okay, they got like fifty million that they can spend, and if you get that one guy or or you acquire that one guy, um, you know, you know whether it's through Amir and, and whatever else. You're only going to be left with about 25 million left. If you're spending 10 of that to re-sign Evan Turner, another 15 million doesn't buy you that much. You know what I no, mean? No, it doesn't get you. It doesn't get you your your top guy. Right, and maybe Evan Turner in a year, Evan Turner plus Terry Rozier and James Young gets you something. But you know, all right. One last one then. One to to your point about the money. Do you count Amir Johnson as a guarantee to come back? No, not at all. Not until I know what how serious Kevin Durant is about Boston. You know, because they don't have to make a decision on on Jarebko and and Johnson until the third of third uh, of July, and by then you're going to know if you're going to have a meeting or not. I think. You know, and, well, and the moratorium is gone, right? That whole right. nobody can talk for a week. This will be the first year that's gone. Is that correct? I think that's right. Yeah, I. I couldn't remember exactly I hated how that. That, that was the stupidest thing because the deals were already done <laughs> right. before anybody could talk. It would always be like, "What are you talking about then?" Yeah. You know, or what are you not talking about then? <laughs> because it doesn't. It never made any sense. I'm glad they got rid of that, and that definitely will give the team plenty of time to know if they're making a play or not. Absolutely. And and they might even go. You know, somebody like Johnson might say, "Well, then I'll I'll sit tight and wait." You know, I mean, what if I enter free agency now versus later versus the whole reason I'm here is to win a championship and I'm hoping you guys have a home for me, but he'll land somewhere. He's just such a good vet. Will he get his $12 million? No, but he probably won't get his $12 million from anybody but the Celtics anyway. And actually, I'm going to backtrack on that because of the amount of money that's out there this yeah. year. He could definitely sign a one-year deal and get his money, but... If he knows that he can get it, he can get it later as well. I have a feeling it'd still be available for him if he wants to to let it. I mean, that's there's that whole second tier free agent thing that doesn't happen until the dominoes fall. 
Johnson's camp is going to be willing to wait that out, and it's not going to cost him. Here, here's one thing to think about. Um, the possibility exists. Now, I don't think this happens, but it, there's a lot of talk about how Durant wants to perhaps, if he, if he, does, if he does return, he opts out, right, and then he signs for a year extension, right? Well, what if Durant is traded? What if you traded for That's a, a really good point. What? It could be a sign and trade. Exactly. There's all kinds of so then you have this really rights. this really could play out the same way as Kevin Garnett. Whereas with talking and talking with Grandy just a few moments ago, the conversation that I said was, well, this is totally different because the team that had Kevin Garnett did not want to move on from Kevin Garnett. And I'm not saying that OKC wants to move on from Durant, but if Durant wants to move on from OKC, mm-hmm. OKC should certainly want to bring some talent back and get, get, some, get some picks for that. And Durant would probably feel a lot better about leaving if he knew that he wasn't just leaving them in the lurch, too. If he's truly interested in Boston, um, he could do a sign-and-trade, and that would only benefit OKC, but that would be a classy move. I'm not sure how the how you... I mean, you have to trade half of your roster to do it, and, I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff that kind of goes along with that. But, you know... You start with, let's say, you start with Amir and Jerebko. That gets you to 17 million right there. Um, you start throwing in players, picks, things like that. You know, let's say, let's say you get the number one pick and you get Brandon Ingram. So Amir, Jerebko, Brandon Ingram, you sign him. So there's another five million. You're up to 22 million. You get another five million dollars. Let's say it's Marcus Smart. Boom, you got your money. So Marcus it's Smart, have the to number one pick, like and two Smart. scrubs yep. gets you. And, and and you still have the because that's the issue is can you do this and still make yourself attractive enough as a team that that Kevin Durant will want to play with? Can you strip away enough assets to make it so he doesn't feel like he's screwing over OKC while also making sure it's still a good home? Right, and he also Absolutely. gets the full amount of money. Yeah. So. I don't know. That, that's probably like a, there's probably a hundred reasons why that doesn't work. But I, I think there's a lot of reasons. I think there's a lot of a lot of things that could happen here. And um, I don't know. All right, I, last question. Last question. We'll wrap on yeah. this. Does San Antonio just have to kick the snot out of OKC for this to be? You actually. So you subscribe to that? Yes. That that if Durant can get by San Antonio. Or even take it to Game Seven that he's going to be hungry enough to try to do it again with Russ that it's going to be impossible to pry him away. I, well, I don't say impossible, but I, I think it'd be really tough. I think he needs to see that he's, they've got everybody healthy for the first time in a long time, and he needs to go up against the best to say we just don't got it. You know, the thing with OKC, the the problem with them has always been the sum of their parts is never greater than their individual parts. That's always been the problem that I've seen with that team. They've never kind of gone up a level because of they have Westbrook, they have Durant, they have Ibaka. You know, you've never felt like this is a team. It's always been this individual, that individual. I go, you go. You know, and that's that to me, that's just, to me, 
maybe yeah, maybe I'm out on an island, but I, and I feel like there's a lot of people who are thinking OKC could really do something, but for my money, OKC could really, really have a problem against uh, San Antonio Spurs in this series. Hmm. Hmm. You so you think they actually could get the snot kicked out? I do. I, I think I game think, one is a is a is a strong indication of where this could go. Well, I'm gonna I I'm gonna tell you this that the NBA doesn't want that. No. <laughs> the NBA will make sure that that doesn't happen. <laughs> well, so they'll get Scott Foster and Tony Brothers twice in their series I'm too. I'm just saying, man. I'm just saying. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm look, just uh, yeah. that first game. Well, and you're probably right, but that first game is is truly an indication though of what's going on there. And that I love I love Durant. I love. I think Westbrook is super talented. I'd love to have him on my team. But people are seriously underrating how good San Antonio is. I, I agree with you know that. What I mean, they, they were really, right there for a record NBA season, right behind Golden State. Yeah. And if they didn't rest their players, they would probably have you know somebody on their squad that probably Tony Parker that would be injured, just like Steph Curry, and they might have also matched that record. Like certainly, if Popovich played the minutes on his team, the way that Golden State played minutes on their guys. They they would we would might have been talking about two different teams challenging for that record. They, had, they were having one of the best years under the Popovich era, as old as they are. And Lamarcus Aldridge, a big piece of that, and had a huge game the other night. Right. I mean, legitimately, this Spurs team had probably one of the top fifteen, maybe top ten, but at least top fifteen seasons in NBA history. And we aren't even talking about them because of what's gone on in Golden State. You know, I, I, it's it's crazy to me. And people are like, well, OKC, they could give them a run. I'm like, are you kidding me? They, <laughs> this Spurs team won 67 games resting half of their guys every other night. I mean, I, <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't see how you, how you can ignore, first of all, the mastery of Popovich, but Aldridge, Marcus Aldridge is starting to figure it out. Kawhi has gone up yet another level. You know, and and Parker and Ginobili and Duncan. I mean, they're 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 passengers on the bus, but they're still they're still valuable contributors. I mean, well, I remember when I said that I didn't think Lamarcus Aldridge was going to be special. <laughs> I mean, I said that back in the early the early days of his career, within the first two well, seasons, and I was like, I just don't think he's going to be special. I think he's going to be good, but I don't think he's going to be special. But can you argue that he's special yet? I don't think so. I can. I think he's better than good. He's a great player. But can you say he's a special player? What's special. I'm not to you. Well, what, what do you mean? Special mean. Special means that you know you're going to be talked about with the greats. You know, for for years and years to come, you're a perennial all star, which he is definitely a perennial all star. But you know. He's not a guy where the game changed because LaMarcus Aldridge forced it to change. So is he special? Yeah, but he's but maybe he's run of the mill really great for his career to to this point. 
I think under Popovich, he becomes special, is my point. He's in the right environment at the right time with the weight shifting over, with a supporting cast that can only make him look great. And then he will look special. He will look truly special. But I think if he stayed in Portland, do you, I mean, is he going to put a bunch of rings on his finger no. in Portland? No. And that, that a lot of times is what it comes down to, right? When we talk about, you know, in, in football, when you talk about Marino or Jim Kelly, there's, you know, both of those guys were really great players for their era. But do they have the so- Super Bowl rings to, to back it up? And that's, what, that's my point about Aldridge. You know, this is going to be a situation for him where is he really any better or worse of a player? No. But does it matter when you start talking about somebody being special, how many championships they win? It absolutely does. It always does. Kevin Garnett knew that. It's part of the reason that once the trade was made, he could see himself in Boston, right? He had Doc Rivers as a coach. Paul Pierce was already there. Now it's going to be Ray Allen. They invented the trio, the big three acquisition, let's all go play together scenario that Miami copied. And now so many teams are emulating in different ways, not the same way. But if you go to LaMarcus Aldridge, is he going to have rings? I don't think so. Yeah. But he will have rings in San Antonio, to your point. No, I, th- I yeah, I, I think you're right about I think you've got that nailed. I mean, good player, sure. Great player, eh, not so much. Approaching. He's got plenty of career left to be great. But, but Popovich and the team he's got around him could make him special. He could get the right things on his resume to make that argument. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's true. You know, you know, but... It, <laughs> He's uh, he made the the wise choice, you know, to make that move from Portland, but he's Definitely. not. I <laughs> I to me, I'm going to give a lot of credit to his teammates and Kawhi Leonard, and say, hey, you know, he he makes those shots and he's he can do those things. He's a pro. He's a really good pro. But yeah, the special tag. I mean, that's why I was asking if you were thinking along my lines. He's just not, you know, Hall of Famer. I mean, could he get there? You know, another five. This is years? this was the only path. That was my point. Yeah. yeah so I, I, think, I guess we're on the same page. I think you're right. You know, is he, is he going to have a, a Sharif Sharif Abdul Rahim type type career? You know, that's. I don't know. I don't know. He could. He definitely would have in in Portland. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Right on. We'll wrap on that. Great show. Huge shout-out to Sean Grandy, our man, uh, just doing a fantastic job, as always. And uh, his interview before Game 6 with Brad Stevens really was excellent. Really, really excellent. So uh, I know we talked about it a little bit. You know, when is the adjustment just playing better? Uh, When is the adjustment just knocking down shots? When is the adjustment getting a player that can knock down those shots? That's the theme of the offseason. We're going to be here the whole way through. And we're really just a couple of weeks away from draft lottery night. So we'll have one more show before then, maybe two, probably two. Uh, and then we're going to know really what the Celtics have asset-wise that they're playing with. And don't forget... 
that 16th pick is still quite valuable. Don't dismiss it. We dismiss the fact that the Celtics got the short end of the stick with uh, tiebreakers for draft position and tiebreakers heading into the postseason. Uh, the double whammy that kind of went under the radar that not enough noise was made about, but those that pick is still a very valuable pick. It's just outside of the lottery. So it's it's a nice one. Thank you, Dallas. Although it should have been an even nicer one. Uh we're gonna we're gonna be back again next Monday morning, so stay tuned. We'll have another great guest for you. And Sean was awesome. John, any final thoughts before we wrap? Hey, you know, I it's it's draft express time folks. Get that tankathon. Uh if you want to do your sim your lottery Every show, I, I haven't told you this, but every show I do it while we're doing the show. And uh, I just do it once. I don't, you know, I'm not trying to game the system. I'm not trying to run the odds in my favor. I did it once. Your number one pick tonight, tonight's show, Boston Celtics. So, Ooh, I like that. Let's hope that's, yeah. that's just a, a that's portends of things to come. So Don't run it again. I'm not Be touching it. That. I'm not going to touch it. I'll that's do it, it. Even, next week. Leave it on the good vibe. Leave it. Don't even do it next week. We're done. No, we're That's it. Shut it down. <laughs> Make sure you tweet it out to Isaiah Thomas and let him know. That's it's right. already been predicted. He just has to show up and do his job. Listen, hey, real quick on that, and I, I tweeted this out, and I think it's true. Perfect guy to do it. One, yes. if he does it, it's just it's more of the Celtics doing the un, the unexplainable, the unbelievable. You know, it's just Isaiah doing that, taking the odds and flipping them on their ear and having something work out for Boston, one. Two, it doesn't work out, which would suck. It'd be terrible. But guess what? You're, you're sitting there, and you're looking at Isaiah Thomas, and you're saying, oh, wait a second. We got an all-star who was the 60th pick in the draft for a late first-round pick. We can... We can do this. We can get somebody at the third pick or the fifth pick or whatever. So, it you know, he is the perfect guy to be up there because in, in, in any scenario, there is a way you can look at it and say, well, you know, yeah, but this could work out for this reason. So, I, I, Well, and here's another reason. He'll still be in front of people even though he's not in the postseason playing, which can only continue to put the Celtics and what they've done for him in his career. All-star, first season with the Celtics, right, when he was part of a three-guard combo where he was coming off the bench. Again, that can only be even more attractive. And just putting him out there is also good for free agent you know, recruiting and proposition, even though I know he's not going to say anything to recruit. There's just something about keeping your guys out in front in the media, and you know that every player around the league is still going to be watching that draft lottery and wondering what's happening, except for the players that are on the floor that night. Absolutely. And, hey, there's a lot of players that are already out. You know, we haven't seen what's going on by the time. All of you listen will know what happened with the Toronto game. Um we're looking at players. Not looking good in the fourth quarter, though. We're, we're rooting for teams. We're rooting for teams, like Miami, to beat teams with players who will be free agents so that they'll be less likely to re-sign. So Batum, checkmark. Okay? We're going to be rooting oh. for the Spurs. Get Durant out of there. So we're rooting for that one. As you said, not a good sign right now. But, hey, Look, that's that's where we are right now. We don't want to root for misery to anybody, but look, this is this is a dog eat dog world here, and we we want uh, we want to have a situation where we we can sign somebody of value 
and and do so without losing any any of those trade chips that we want to uh, use. So right now it's wet cement, baby. It's wet, it's cement. wet cement. You got it. All right, everybody, join us next week. Great show. And again, thanks to Sean Grandy. We're going to be back, and it is getting into fun time. So I hope everybody is ready and buckled up because the next next month and a half, two months, is going to be exciting stuff. And Celtic Stuff Live has got you covered. See you next week. Celtic Stuff Live.